0: Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. I just left, in not impulsively, but I just left, and it was hard enough to leave because, you know, I knew I was going to have to fight for my child now um, with a person who uh, had very persuasive powers of, you know, manipulation over me and other people and was... Um,
1: Let's face it. We're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Zong, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. Welcome to another episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung, and it is my honor and super pleasure to welcome Shikati Shima to this episode. I met Shikati actually through my 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 Sleigh program and through my network and through my community. And he is a publicist and a writer. He's got an incredible background as a multimedia producer and he's an amazing, amazing guy and entrepreneur. He went to Columbia twice and he works with CEOs of high growth tech companies. But unfortunately, just like all of us, he has had to deal with some narcissists in his life. As I so often say, narcissists do not attach themselves to people who have so little value. They attach themselves to people who have so much value. They are very, very, very opportunistic. They want people who have lots and lots of value. And even though they highly devalue you and try to make you feel like nothing once they attach themselves to you. I know firsthand, having dealt with a narcissistic business partner, they do attach themselves to people who have lots and lots of value. So I'm so, so, so honored. And it's such my pleasure to welcome you, Chicati. Thank you so much for being on the show.
0: Thank you for all that you do. Yeah. Your course, uh, Slay, was so instrumental for me, in really making an important transformation in my life at the end of uh, you know a very toxic situation, and you know I've told you this a few times before, but you, you know, Slay is uh, you know uh, strategy leverage. What is A is uh,
1: anticipate,
0: anticipate, and then you. why is for you, and so focusing on yourself is the most powerful thing that I did of just like not thinking about what's this other person doing or what's this other person, uh, thinking, or, you know, how are they going to respond, but how can I make myself the best version of myself? So by, by really focusing on being the best version of myself, uh, you know, which was very hard after being devalued for so long and really internalizing these negative messages. But once I started to really focus on myself and making myself happy and making myself a better person, it's like complete night and day transformation. So I want to thank you for that. I'll thank you for that. I'll tell everybody, all the time how instrumental that was for me and how important.
1: Mm, thank you. I, I I wanna take take everybody back uh, because I think it's really, really important for people to get how critical it was that, you know, here you are, somebody who's so obviously intelligent and so obviously you had so much going on for yourself. You, you know, because very similar to me, you know, like the narcissistic business partner that I dealt with was after I had achieved everything that I had in my law practice. And I I, I was telling you before we came on to the show, or you know, before we went on the air that I had done this talk in Texas over the weekend. And I told everybody about how it was after I achieved everything and only a few years ago that I merged my practice with these two other guys and I decided to do all these different business ventures. And one of those ventures was with this narcissistic business partner. And it was really only three years ago or something like that, that I was in Hawaii that, you know, I had this you know, aha moment. And, you know, I remember you Mm -hmm. telling me that like you remembered me telling and I actually told that story this weekend, you know, because I think it's important for people to get that, you know, they don't attach themselves to people who have so little value. They do attach themselves to people who have so much, Mm -hmm. but yet it can, you do end up feeling so, so powerless and you do end up feeling like you're going crazy. Totally. I remember feeling like laying there in the middle of the night, like I was going crazy, you know, mm-hmm. like before I left for that trip for Hawaii, like what the hell? And I didn't want to, I, I told, Everybody in this talk, I didn't want to talk about how to negotiate with a narcissist on YouTube because I didn't want to talk about this. I was supposed to be strong. I was supposed to be this badass attorney. Like, how the hell did this end up happening to me? Boy, yeah, You know, like this was I, I. But then I kind of felt like, well, maybe I need to get over the blame and shame. And maybe I just need to start talking about this because maybe it'll actually help people. To realize, like maybe, you know, if it can happen to me, it can happen to anybody. And you know, they don't attach themselves to, you know, crap. They 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 want they deeply covet what everyone else has, right? And so, I really want you to take us back to at the beginning of the relationship, how they love bomb you to death, how they want to quickly get to that next level as quickly as possible Mm -hmm. to lock you in. Mm -hmm. And then once you're locked in, how they make you feel like you're going crazy Mm -hmm. and, you know, really get us there. And then how you were able to Escape basically
0: yeah so uh the I was friends with this person before I wasn't close friends with this person but we had we knew each other and then we kind of matched on a on a dating site and started hanging out and it was really convenient because we both worked for ourselves and we lived very close we lived one neighborhood apart things got really hot and heavy you know lots of physical affection and time spent together, you know, love bombing with gifts and introductions to interesting people and, you know, going to parties and, you know, just whatever, just seemed so magical. And it was one of those things of like, where have you been my whole life? Uh, This is, you know, it's like, I feel like I'm the center of this person's world and this person's so great. And then I remember traveling to, to Texas and coming back from Texas and instead of picking me up from the airport, it was like, Hey, get yourself home. And then when I walked into this person's apartment, it was just like night and day difference. All of a sudden, you know, this look of complete disgust, and it was just like, wow, you know, what happened here? So that was the moment the mask came off, and I was just like, okay, I'm out of here. But unfortunately, at that point, we were uh, we were pregnant, uh, and I found out the next day. And uh, wanting to be a stand up guy, I thought, okay, well, now we need to make this work because you know we're having a kid. And, uh, the, the, that's when it really got crazy, you know, pregnancy is a time of intense, uh, change in the body and hormones and all of this. And I thought, oh, well, you know, this is all going to get better when, uh, the baby comes and, you know, we'll focus on that. And that wasn't at all the case, you know, we didn't, things never got better. They continue to get worse and worse and worse. And at a certain point I was just like, Hey, this is it. You know, I can't live this way. And it was something that I was kind of building up to, but I wasn't in a position, you know, it's like as a, as a freelancer, there's rise and rise and fall when you're building up your practice. And so I was waiting for a time when I had the the wherewithal to make a clean break. And then one day I was just fed up and I just left, you know, and that was it. You know, that was about three, a little over three years ago, but uh, it was very, very, very intense. I joke with people that like, I have, uh, no color in my beard, but I used to have, you know, uh, <laughs> color in my beard. Uh, so yeah, uh, it's intense even just recounting it now, but, uh, you know, long story short is that I was, uh, you know, love bombed really intensely. Uh, that was something that I wanted, you know, I wanted to feel really, uh, cherished and special, Uh, and, uh, I got that, you know, and I got it for just enough time to really be on the hook. And, you know, in that time, uh, we got pregnant and, uh, you know, so this person's in my life forever. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a lot of mutual friends and it's like, it's been this ongoing process of pruning friends who I think are potentially, aligned because I just want to make sure that my world is as pure as possible with my own friends and people that really support me. And, you know, to the the theme of this, uh, you know, this, this community is that I just left in not impulsively, but I just left and it was hard enough to leave because, you know, I knew I was going to have to fight for my child now with a person who uh, had very, persuasive powers of, you know, manipulation over me and other people and was, you know, I'm going to hold my, my child hostage basically to get back at me or to have leverage over me. And that was a, that was a, not a decision I took lightly. And, you know, nobody, nobody, you know, like you said, people have high value, uh, who narcissists attach themselves to, but, uh, Nobody's perfect, you know, people make mistakes, people do things that they regret later, uh, unforced errors, if you will. And so I was really second guessing myself for a long time about what, what's going on here, uh, what's best for my son, you know, what mistakes have I made to to lead to this point, And how am I going to, I going to lead a life going forward? And so it took a lot of conversation with a lot of people to start to see the picture more clearly. And again, to get to a place of just focusing on myself. And I would say it was the most intense year, year and a half to get to that place of like, let me just build myself up and not worry about this other person, you know? But you leave the situation thinking like, oh, this person just... just think so much about like all the things that they've done wrong to you, all the lies that you're told, all the lies that you believe, keep finding things out, you're ruminating. But once you stop doing that and just start focusing on like, who am I and what do I want to become? That's when the light starts to shine a lot brighter.
1: Yeah. I mean, but just the fact that you're saying, you know, what mistakes did I make? You know, things like that. I mean, no narcissist is ever saying that to themselves. Right. Right. You they know, don't that self self-reflect. <laughs> that's always
0: how can I blame somebody, you know?
1: Exactly. That projection blame for and this? deflection. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean that that self-awareness, that's that you know, that self-reflection that never happens, you know, with a narcissist, you know. Yeah. I, I remember that you talked about being at a friend's house right after Mm, mm we left and hearing footsteps.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Talk about that.
0: Okay. So, uh, I, you know, before the, the, the final separation, uh, there were a couple of times when I, things just got too overheated and I thought, okay, this is it. I'm out of here. And I didn't really have a plan, but I was like, I cannot be in the situation anymore. I had a friend who had an extra bedroom And went to this friend's house and their their bed was on a loft above this extra bedroom. And I remember them coming in in the middle of the night to go to sleep. And the footsteps going up the stairs just made my heart pound because I thought I was back in the apartment I shared with the narcissist. And that we were going to get in a fight, even though it was like three o'clock in the morning. Because it was very common to have fights start at three o'clock in the morning. And the narcissist would throw the lights on and say, we're not going to sleep until we deal with this. And it's just like... You know, no, no good conversation ever uh, resolves itself at three o'clock in the morning when someone's in bed, but I was so accustomed to that. And I was so accustomed to, you know, literally walking on eggshells and hearing this person's footsteps and just thinking, oh, this person's going to, you know, the narcissist is going to come into the room where I am minding my own business. And they're going to flip out because my socks were on the floor in the bathroom or, You know, there's a dish in the sink or some, you know, whatever arbitrary rules, but they're just going to start, you know, hauling off on me. And so I felt that and, uh, you know, that extreme paranoia and that PTSD, you know, of like uh, Like people that were in a war. Yeah, my heart was pounding and I was sweating and all this. Uh, But people that have been in a war, it's like if they hear a car backfire or they hear a loud noise, they think they're back in the trenches and people are throwing grenades at them. And so that's exactly how I felt at the time, you know, and it took a long time to really let my body unwind from that high level of stress.
1: Yeah, it was like on a cellular level almost.
0: Mm-hmm, hmm
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and so, it, I mean, and and even now, like for the people who can't see you, because we're on a podcast, sure. you know, for most of the people who are listening you know, as you're describing it, I can still see like how it still kind of hits you physically as you describe it.
0: Oh yeah, I mean the worst thing for me too, as a man, is that it's like, oh, no one's going to believe you if you say you're the the victim here. You're the one being abused, and also it's just like in in any other situation, if someone is like just. Uh, antagonizing you in that way, you have a right to defend yourself. You have, you know, like if, if some random person came up to me and was like hitting me and, and, uh, you know, getting in my face, then I would be able to defend myself. But in a, in a domestic partnership, you can't do that. You know, then as a man, the finger is naturally going to be pointed at me. And so the having to restrain myself so much and talk the situation down, if at all possible, and if not, talk it down, leave the situation. And as I try to leave the situation, the narcissist actually blocks the door, physically restrains me. And it's like, no, you know, so it's like, you know, I, I figured we'd probably talk about the Depp and Heard defamation case. But it's like, you know, it, it seemed pretty clear from some of the testimony and some of the recordings that, you know, he was trying to get out of physical altercations and was unable to get out of physical altercations. And that's something that's very relevant to me where physical altercations would happen. And it's like, as the man, I'm naturally going to be, uh, you know, pinned as the aggressor when in fact I was being aggressed and, yeah. uh, I can't, you know, can't physically escape. It's like, I don't want, I don't want my infant child to be exposed to this, uh, don't want to be exposed to it myself. And, uh, you know, not being able to leave or having my keys hidden on the way out. Things like that would happen or being chased out of the uh, apartment.
1: And uh, how tall are you?
0: A little bit over six feet.
1: Okay, so. so you're a little bit over six feet tall. And how tall is she? Five, three. Five,
0: yeah.
1: three. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, so, you know.
0: Significant size difference.
1: Yeah. And I've represented, you know, guys like that. And, and it's, you know... It's never a good situation, you know, especially if, you know, cops show up and they see Mm. that kind of situation. I mean, it's just, you know. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I called the police and uh, then the narcissist called afterwards. So now they don't know who to believe, you know. Right. And the narcissist threw a statue at me and uh, told the police, uh, I didn't throw a statue, but I do throw plates, you know.
1: I mean, wow. I had a guy one time where he was—he literally had his phone on the whole entire time. Mm-hmm. And he was like, she's attacking me. She's attacking me. And she's like, that's right. I'm attacking. I'm attacking. Mm. And she had even grabbed a knife. And wow. he ended up with a restraining order against him.
0: Wow. Yeah. It's so crazy. You know, cause the police, they asked me, were you injured? And I'm like, Not really, you know, but it's like, do I have to be injured for this to be completely inappropriate, you know, for me to get some protection? Cause like, yeah, I mean, I just, the restraint needed to be on the receiving end for so long and, uh, uh, do nothing, you know? It's just so, 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 so hard. So that's still in my cells. That's still in my body, you know? I think that will leave my my body and my biology eventually. But it's like, yeah.
1: Coming up, more on
0: Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung.
1: You can't just say the person's a narcissist because judges don't care about that mm-hmm. in the sense that they're you can't tie that to law Mm -hmm. and what what the judges care about is the law Right. right because that's what they're tasked to do when it comes to the safety of a child in a divorce case involving alcohol abuse there is no compromise take back power strength and truth from the narcissist in your life with documented proof of sobriety SoberLink's alcohol monitoring system is the most convenient, reliable, and reasonable way for a parent to provide evidence that they're not drinking when a child's safety is at risk. SoberLink's real time alerts make it easy to negotiate with any party. Judges rest assured that the child is safe. Attorneys get court admissible evidence of sobriety and both parents have empowerment and peace of mind. I created this community to provide support for divorced moms like me, which is why I partnered with Soberlink to create the resource Tips for Negotiating with a Narcissist. To download the guide and get $50 off your Soberlink device, visit www. Dot soberlink.com/ slash negotiate. Are you struggling with how to negotiate and win? Maybe you're dealing with a personality that's particularly challenging, like a narcissist or other high-conflict personality, and you're feeling powerless. Make sure to download my free Win My Negotiation cheat sheet at www.winmynegotiation.com. Take a listen to our archive, where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life.
0: But then, Rebecca, my the journey really began because I was diagnosed with complex regional pain syndrome, which is dubbed the suicide disease. And so... I I knew that I was going to have, I knew I was going to need grit and I knew that I was going to have to be mentally tough and physically tough, but man, oh man, dealing with constant chronic pain on a daily basis and and finding out that it's never going to ease up, that there's no known cure. That is really where my transformational journey began. And now we return to today's show. of course you're going to yell, you know, uh, if someone's yelling at you and you're fed up, you're going to yell, but that doesn't, you know, like it doesn't help anything. And then, uh, you know, stopping from escalating any further, it's just like, okay, well I'm going to leave. Somebody needs to leave. Uh, but, oh yeah, that, that brings back memories still. Cause it's only been three years, but, uh, yeah, once I got out of that situation and things calmed down and it's like switching to, uh, text-only communication helps one
1: form one form i always yeah say one, one form, form. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you definitely want only one form of communication
0: no uh no in-person communication except just like you know
1: parallel parenting yeah the must with narcissists no.
0: yeah everything's in everything's in writing because it's like you don't have to respond you
1: know i always Stay with narcissists. It's like getting arrested. Everything they do and say, you do and say, will be used against you.
0: Yeah. So it's like you can react, but you, or you respond, but you don't react. You know, it's like right. you can wait twelve hours. You can wait. You know, if something's incredibly urgent.
1: Don't then, defend yourself.
0: Yeah. That's,
1: that's what they want. Just mm-hmm. like pull you into the mud.
0: Mm-hmm. But it being so good at like creating drama even in an email and like word salading into like, what is, what is going on here? So, you know, again, uh, Rebecca, I have to thank you because that, uh, you know, 50 phrases to disarm a narcissist has been a lifesaver. I have it on my phone. I get emails and I get text messages. And I'm like, I already can scan through my, uh, my memory of those 50 phrases and be like, Oh, this is this response, you know? Huh. And actually one of them became a, uh, one of the responses became a, an exhibit in uh, a, custody, uh, a custody proceeding that I took right off that sheet. So, yeah. Uh,
1: well, I'm so glad to hear that. And, and so let's talk about how you started to transform, yeah. you know, and, and come out of that we I uh, before we we got on, I said, so what was the theme you know, and you said transformation and like how did you how did you come out of that? Hmm.
0: Yeah, well, you know, the, I, and you did take this yeah. program,
1: so we should talk about that, but I, I do yeah. want to also talk about how you were able to transform.
0: Yeah, so I was, you know the the situation that unfolded was really, just so crazy. you know. Each separation is different and, and brutal for every person, but I actually had to, to deal with housing instability at the same time, as I'm sure a lot of people do. I was fortunate enough to have a uh, an apartment here in San Francisco that I was subletting, but there were three people that were subletting it and they didn't want to go. And this whole situation erupted with them where the owner of the house tried to evict me and that uh, triggered a, a housing, uh, an unlawful eviction suit, which I prevailed in, in the midst of custody. So it was just like so intense, so, 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 so intense. But, you know, having friends that believed me or that were just there to be supportive was the first step. And in the beginning, uh, not everybody really understood what was going on you know, in fact, my family didn't really understand it at first. They thought, oh, you know, there's two sides, you know, this person will calm down, what have you. But the, uh, the truth of the matter was that, you know, even my family was gaslighting me to, to an extent, you know, it's really hard to understand narcissism unless you've named it and dealt with it. And so, yeah, it was actually, so, you know, how the YouTube algorithm works first, it was Dr. Les Carter, Uh, and then, you know, once Dr. Les Carter, you watch a few of those videos, then I started being recommended your videos and a few others. And then, you know, yours was about negotiation and more, uh, nuanced. And so that was when I was like, oh, the light went off and I just consumed every video of yours and went back into the archives. And then I found Dr. Romney. And then there was like, you know, there was the legal and the psychological, uh, components of it and it was just so helpful. It was just like I got everything I possibly could and then there's another there's another uh podcast and uh video series called uh the proper person uh which is a guy in in uh Nevada and he represented himself against a narcissistic co-parent and eventually uh terminated the narcissist's parental rights because um you know the the son's uh Dental health deteriorated at his mom's house and he had, uh, two teeth extracted and five crowns and he was able to prove, uh, went to a dentist and did a red coat test and was able to prove that the child wasn't brushing his teeth at the mom's house, leading to this dental uh, problem. Wow. So, uh, and then there's also dad surviving divorce. So, you know, there's actually this incredible support community and, you know, Tina's one mom's battle. So it's like, you know, you take bits and pieces because some, I I agree with some uh, and identify with some a lot more than others. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just to find out that there's this really rich community of narcissism support out there on YouTube was, uh, you know, even if my friends and family didn't get it, you know, there were people that get it and they could actually... What was the most remarkable thing was like people could actually describe the narcissist in my life no, having never met them because they're so similar, you know they're all almost identical in the way they behave, their entitlement, their you know gaslighting and all these things. so it was like, wow, how could you possibly know this person without knowing this person <laughs>
1: yeah. so
0: uh you know watched a lot sick, of YouTube,
1: like, yeah. yeah.
0: I love how you describe them as the chocolate Easter bunny, you know, like yeah. this hollow, you know, really nice looking on the outside and completely hollow on the inside. And so it's just like, wow. You know, when, when, I, when I connected with so many other, uh, you know, and then there's also this guy in Ali Hammock, uh, mental healness, who oh, is yeah, a diagnosed narcissist. So, yeah. you know, like these are people you do, like like yourself, real people, you know. So it's like I've connected with a number of them uh, offline. And so that's like my, my tribe, my support tribe. And then I've got a great therapist and, you know, there's other resources for parents here in San Francisco, but it's like, it's just so much energy and so much time to rebuild, you know? And so I really feel for people who've been in a situation for like 20 years and they think, oh, I'm just going to wait till the kids go to college or what have you. And it's like as hard as this has been, it's been better than being stuck in that situation. You know, And I was only in the situation for three years, but wow, that has changed. That's changed me on a cellular level, even in three years. So, you know, and, and I'm finally at the place now of not regretting or blaming myself or shaming myself and just looking at the lessons and looking at, you know, how much I've grown in the time. But, uh, you know, in the beginning, you know, I was really just like, oh my gosh, I deserve this. This is my life, you know, uh, you know, I, somehow I'm, I'm to blame for this. And, you know, the things I've done have caught up with me, like, but, you know, now I know it's like every day is an opportunity to, uh, to transform yourself. And that, that shaming is part of the internalization of, you know, everything you can, everything you say will be used against you, you know, narcissist turns, everything you've ever shared, any vulnerability, you know, when you want to connect, when you want to connect with them on a human, human level, they store that up. And then at the most opportune time to damage you, they bring it up and say, well, you did this. And, you know, this is just another example of you doing this. And like, whoa, that's not why I told you that, that thing, you know, I'm being self-reflective here. I'm owning, I'm, I'm being vulnerable. I'm owning, you know, things I've done. And, uh, that is totally off limits for you to say that, but you know, you know, people don't, people, people who are narcissistic, people, uh, people who are narcissistic feel no shame about, you know, turning, turning that against you. So.
1: No, oh, yeah, totally. Totally. Okay. So let's talk about the S.L.A.Y. program and how yeah. it helped you for sure.
0: Yeah. So in negotiation, it's really about give and take. And the more you know about the narcissist, the more you have to work with because you know what they value. And first and foremost, they value their public appearance and the shiny things and being liked and adored by people. But then, you know, they're also very sloppy and uh, they think they can lie their way through any and everything and they're entitled to more than a normal person. And so these are, you know, this is leverage. So, you know, you strategize, right. And then you have leverage and then you anticipate and then focus on yourself. And so the sleigh program is really, you know, I think one of the hardest things about this uh, engagement with a narcissist is most people never go to court. You know, the majority of people never have to go to court for anything. The majority of people never even get like, a, you know, traffic ticket. So uh, those people that ever interact with the justice system are those people that get a speeding ticket, you know, and then, you know, way below that are people that have to deal with like any kind of litigation. So it's very intimidating and just, but it's necessary. So the necessity of that, getting, getting an overview of how that process works is one of the first things that's really important of the slave program, because people who have been really put in a box, uh, don't know their power and don't know how to access the system and how to, how to get changed. So that is really helpful first and foremost. And then, you know, L or leverage is, you know, what are the things that are going to balance the scales in your favor? And the anticipation is, you know, what are the things that this person has said to me over and over again, what am I likely to expect? And so I'm definitely in that phase now, you know, three years on of just like, Oh, every time, well, I don't want to say every time, but it's like, I can predict that this is what I'm going to hear because I've heard it many, 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 many times. And it actually is kind of like, I wouldn't say it's like a game, but it's definitely a reward mechanism where you say, you say your piece. And then when you get the response that you expected, it's like, yes, this person has not changed. This person has not matured in any way, shape or form, but just to be able to know who you're dealing with, that anticipation is really important to not, to not ever expect this person to be decent or kind or empathetic or uh, generous or any of those things. It sucks. I mean, it's, it's a really terrible, it's terrible, but you know, you harm yourself when you expect different. And so when you can anticipate that this person is going to act a certain way, regardless of how you show up. And that's why that that, uh, 50 phrases to disarm a narcissist form was so vital because it's like, you know, I already know what they're going to say and what what needs to be uh, responded. You know, what response I need to give them. And then you obviously is the person you're in control of. You know, uh, I, it's like, In a situation with a narcissistic, uh, you know, partner, ex-partner, uh, I've had a number of narcissistic bosses, you know, I had two really narcissistic bosses in a row. I've been independent, but like the, the two bosses that I worked with were super narcissistic and it's like, you show up and you build yourself up and you are never going to change this person. I'm not the best at managing up, but it's like, just know that this person's never going to change, uh, And you can't change them. The next person is not going to change them either, but you can change you and you can change you every day a little bit. And, uh, you know, there's another book that I love called atomic habits and it doesn't Mm -hmm. exactly relate to narcissism, but it's just like, when you think about each action as an investment in your future self. Then, uh, you know, you can break out of narcissistic patterns really, really quickly because you're like, hey, I can control this or I'm doing this and this tiny little thing, drinking one more glass of water a day or doing 10 push push-ups a couple times a day transforms me into this version of myself. And the narcissist wants you to be a smaller and smaller version of yourself. But when you realize that just these little things that you can do from day to day make you the person that you most desire to be—it's—it's it's a total, it's a total game changer.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so I'm so glad that it—it it was so helpful for you. I mean, it's exactly what I wanted. What it's exactly what I envisioned. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, it was transformational for me as well. You know, being able to kind of figure out—you know—I mean, I had been helping people negotiate for years and years and years. And honestly, I didn't know anything about narcissists, even though I had been dealing with them in in a negotiation setting for years. It, It wasn't until I had dealt with one as a business partner and then started reading hundreds of books on narcissism, Mm -hmm. And then I started applying what I was learning about narcissism to the cases that I, I I mean, I was still practicing at the time. And I thought it was like I had discovered penicillin. Oh,
0: totally. Totally. Um, You know, the thing is, it's like what's so insidious is that uh, nobody believes it at first. But then, you know, if the whole world was full of narcissists, society would completely crumble. So narcissists and people who are exhibiting narcissistic traits, human civilization needs people to be honest and to be empathetic and and to care about other people. And narcissists are so good at exploiting that, you know, because on a day-to-day basis, you just have an expectation that unless someone is like carrying a knife or doing something out and out dangerous that you can probably expect them to be thinking about you as much as you're thinking about them, you know? And if everybody in society was looking to stab you in the back, the minute your your guard was down, we would have no society. we would have no, you know, there'd be no, there would be no, it would just be complete chaos. But the fact is that a narcissist is an opportunist who is always looking to pick your pocket, always looking to to get over on you, get over on everybody and thinks they can and they're actually very accomplished at it because they've been doing it their whole life and so that's why they hide in plain sight but you know like you said they're predators it's like that's how I explain it to you is like they're they have this really predatory and parasitic behavior where they just see everyone as a mark and so uh, you don't really realize how you're being roped in to a narcissist's game because you just assume that you know of the thousands of people you've met in your life, you've only met or acknowledged a few narcissists. But the fact that they're so, you know, they're like goblins, right? They're really just like.
1: Right. And, and one of the things that you just mentioned that I, I wanted to actually come back to that I, I've kind of had a, an aha moment about mm-hmm. since I've been doing this work is that there's something around 85% of cases in family law settle out of court. And so, you know, conversely, that means that, you know, 10 to 15% of cases go to trial, right? I have had this aha moment that roughly 10 to 15% of the population is what they estimate to be narcissistic. And I have come to realize that I don't think that those numbers are an accident mm. because I believe that, I, that there's a correlation there.
0: Totally, yeah.
1: I believe that the, the cases that aren't settling are the ones that have a narcissist involved.
0: Sure, sure. Because who else wants to keep coming back and keep coming back?
1: Correct.
0: And, back? and yeah, I mean, so this is like a Tina Swithin thing. It's like you can't just call someone a narcissist in court because there is no place for that. But
1: so, what I tell people all the time, you know, because I do know for for sure that I'm the most prominent, you know, at least the most the lawyer that's the the one that has the most vi- visibility right now mm-hmm. out there. The one that you know is that you have to. You can't just say the person's a narcissist because judges don't care about that Mm -hmm. in the sense that you you can't tie that to law. Mm -hmm. And what, what the judges care about is the law right? because that's what they're tasked to do. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you have to put it in terms that the judge can tie it to. And what the judges are tasked to do is, make a decision based in the law. So you have to find a way to tie it back to the statute. And so what people say, oh, they don't, they don't care. They don't care. They don't care. It's not their job to make a decision based on empathy. Oh yes, honey. You know, they're a narcissist. Well, that, it's not a conversation that they're supposed to be having. Right, right. They're supposed to make a decision based in the law. Right. That's their job.
0: And someone else would have to make the same decision based on the same evidence. It's not that they're 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 a human standing in for the law. They're not uh their, their it's not job like you like, it's not a conversation.
1: The yeah. law. That's yeah. their job. Mm-hmm. So the law is the law and mm-hmm. it's written down. Right. And And when
0: you read the transcripts, it says the court. You know, it's not the, yeah, they're talking about themselves in the abstract.
1: Correct. So you you can't look at the judge as, you know,
0: and expect them to get it. You know, it's like you have to show a pattern of this behavior. You have to
1: put it in terms because the judge has a job to do. And and the judge needs to keep that job, and and the judge is going to be uh, critiqued on that job, and the judge <laughs> could be appealed, or that you know, and and you know, if if they don't make a decision based in that law, yeah. So you have to put it in terms that the judge is going to care about, and and how how that happens is you go okay. California law has 10 factors or 18 factors, mm-hmm. whatever it is. I think it's 13. It, but whatever it yeah. is. I don't know. Uh, I know Florida has 17, yeah. 000, you know, but, you know, so you, you just, you go, okay, what's the first factor? You know, which parent is more likely to foster a close and continuing relationship with the other parent or whatever the, the mm-hmm. factor says. and And if that factor doesn't, you know, if you can figure out a way to shove narcissism under that factor. That's how you do it. Yeah. And and that's, that's, that's how you get the judge to care.
0: And without going down a rabbit hole, you know, the last hearing. That's
1: what I teach in the slave program, by the way.
0: And without going down a rabbit hole, you know, what's fascinating about it is that the, the case right before ours was a high net worth couple divorce and the attorney for the respondent told the judge, oh, well, this is too complicated for you to understand. And it was kind of this like, you know, uh, needle skipping over the record. The judge was like, no, this is absolutely not too complicated. And I treat all people under the law the same, you know, because, you know, uh, it was just like a millionaire divorce. But he was like, no, I get, I get exactly what's going on here. I, I take umbrage to that statement. But then, you know, we were next in our situation. So it's like, here's a judge who, you know, from one breath to the next is dealing with like division of millions of dollars of assets and multiple properties. Then it's like, you know, the custody situation is like narcissism really doesn't mean anything to the judge when the judge has to deal with like these like property divisions and custody time and things like that. So it's just like, again, it's really like, what is the evidence that judge is going to, going to make a decision based upon? Right.
1: Right. And so that's, that's how you get the judge to care.
0: Yeah, that's so how you get the judge to care, and it's like it's this whole unwinding process because going from feeling so like this person was mistreating me so terribly and starting fights at three o'clock in the morning and you know all of this to how to present this to a judge so that a judge can make a ruling and successfully presenting you know to the judge was a very you know again I credit the Slay program tremendously because it's like the thing that a narcissist wants more than anything is to get you to argue with them, to get you to defend yourself, to see the world through their very skewed prism. And, you know, that can really cost you when you are in front of a judge, especially if you have written communication, because that communication can then be presented as an exhibit. And so, you know, there's other people like Bill Eddy, uh, who wrote Biff and, uh, you know, uh, splitting and, and some of these other ones, uh, who he's a psychologist and a lawyer. And, you know, it's just like Biff stands for brief, informative, friendly, and factual. And, and it just like, you know,
1: yeah. And firm,
0: firm, firm. Yes. Brief, informative, uh, friendly and firm and or factual and firm, uh, But But just friendly and firm. firm. Okay. So just get, get, you know, get to the point, say nothing, nothing more than you need to say and becomes a muscle, you know? So it's like, uh, there's these narcissistic muscles that you have to, to train. And, you know, the fortunate, unfortunate thing is you get to train them every single day (laughs) or almost, almost every single day, especially if you are co-parenting. You know, and again, you know, like in my situation, it was just like, oh, why, why is this so hard? It's so hard every day. This sucks so much. You know, why can't this person just be decent? Like I, I'm so over fighting and you just want to go on with my life. And it's like, no, don't go on with your life. I want you to be, you know, beholden to me or thinking about me in some way, shape or form every day and it's like a healthy person doesn't think that way you know a healthy person wants to get on with their life and live their life fully and it's just like uh you know so that's the hard thing to to come to grips with and nobody's going to understand it unless they've been in the situation but if you have been in the situation you're just like yes you know and I know you have got a Facebook community it's like totally you know rocking because there's so many people that that want yeah. to be in
1: in almost thousand people now yeah it's crazy
0: people who just get it you know and when people share their text message conversations and things like that just like wow you know been there done that so you know but then it's like this virus of narcissism out there in the world it seems to be really infecting almost as many people as covid so that's the you know it's like that's the next frontier is how to inoculate society against narcissism when social media and, you know, uh, YouTube and politics and, you know, just there's so many, so many outlets for narcissism to really flourish. And so, uh, and it just causes so much damage to so many people. So, you know, and, and no surprise that you have a hundred thousand people in your community and you know, it's such a, prolific YouTube channel and, you know, the courses and you now doing these big arena talks.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for being yeah. so willing to share your story and yeah. you know, being willing to come on here. And I'm so grateful to you and, and so grateful that my, uh, my course was so helpful to you. I, um, uh, send you so much light and so much love and, continue to send you support. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you.